This morning, I'm going to continue in the series that I started a couple weeks ago on community, uh, growing together in oneness. Um, it's, been a, it's been an enlightening time for me over this uh, past few months as I've been thinking about these passages when I was in Tanzania and just seeing things there. And then even the last couple of weeks, discussing these things have, been, have just been awesome for me. And I, I've enjoyed his word. And We'll be in this morning, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want. Take your Bibles and turn there in, in Ephesians chapter 4. But I'm going to begin, as I have each week, just kind of, a, kind of my launching pad, if you will, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And if you want to look there, you can, but I'm just going to read that as we get started. It says there in Ephesians 1, 22, and it says, and he, that's referring to God, and, and he, God, put all things under his, that's referring to Jesus. So, and he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This passage, these verses have been, um, been powerful for me in my life as I think about the church and as I think about what does the church look like. Right off the bat, it may, helps us to understand that, that Christ is the head of the church and Paul uses this metaphor of head body, that Christ is over the church. In fact, all things have been put under his feet. And one of the realities as I thought about this passage is how confident I can be in my salvation, how certain I can be in the hope that I have because all things have been put under his feet, that Jesus can do exactly what he said he would do and that my salvation is secure because of Christ and because of his strength and all things have been put under his feet. In fact, he goes on and he says that, that in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him fills all in all. That picture of Christ filling the church. That when we gather this morning, we gather as a body of believers, not in a building called the church, but a people that are, are the church, the people of God, that if you've received Christ into your life and you're a child of God, you're a member of this body, this body of believers. And the head of that body is Christ. And as we gather this morning, that Christ would fill us. In fact, Paul uh, begins to say these things in light of the fact of their great salvation. In chapter one, he discusses that salvation and he talks about how God chose us, Jesus redeemed us, and the Holy Spirit sealed us under that day for that redemption, that, under that inheritance, that he's the guarantee and the promise of the inheritance that is ours, that he has sealed us for that day. And so we see there in the picture the Trinity involved even in our salvation. And I think it's really important to understand that when we think about community and we think about church, we think about unity, that we begin to understand the Godhead. In the Godhead, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Which one's most important? They're all important. They all have, they all have a place. There's not one over the other, but within the Godhead and the way that they function is different. But nevertheless, they're all one. They're, it's one in, in the unity of, of who they are. And I remember a few months back, I was reading through and, and, I, and I read in Genesis where it says, and a man shall leave his father and mother uh, and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one. And it's the same picture of oneness. And it was such, such eye-opening for me as I thought about 
as I thought about marriage and so many things I've read about marriage and so forth in today in our culture, it's just unreal. And one of the things that struck me was in our marriage, there's to be a oneness. And I look at my wife and my, I'm Lydia, my wife, and we're about as opposite as opposite can be. You know, I'm one of those guys, I, I mean, the more balls I have in the air, the happier I am. I love being out and, 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 all, and just going. I, I just the more I have to do, the more I kind of love it. And my wife is just the opposite. She likes doing one thing. She likes the quiet and the solace of maybe just some background music and, you know, all that. You know, just the comfort. The, if there's a beautiful landscape, she, I'm like, what, who has time for that? You know, that's just like, I, I just, it's just different. We're different. But in our marriage relationship, we're one. And the reality is when I read that, it began to, to strike me about oneness that I realized how, why God hates depravity so much. Because forget about my wife, but in my own sinfulness, my own insecurities, my own fears, my, my own uncertainties of life, that how I would begin to pull away or, or withhold or, or, or shun, even in our relationship. And as we had to learn how to grow through that step by step by faith, but I began to realize, wow, that is so important in that beauty of oneness. Remember in the garden? Remember after Adam and Eve ate of the, of the fruit? And you find God walking in the garden, don't you? And what's he doing? He's yelling for Adam, where are you? Because God made us to be in relationship. He made us to be in community. And community and relationship is important. If you think about it, many of your issues in life are, are stemmed around relationships. And a lot of times those relationships, good and bad, make life enjoyable or not so enjoyable. But we as body of believers are unified because of one thing, because we're his children. Unified by the Spirit. That's why in the Scriptures, it also says one body, which just kind of blew my mind that God is talking about the body of believers being one. And how is that possible? I mean, there's so many different, different types of personalities and goals and, and so on and so forth. How does the body operate as one? And so Paul, he begins to, to, to bring out some of these things. And in chapter one, he talks about Christ being the head over this body. And the first thing that we need to understand about the body is Christ is the, is, is the one over the body. You see, when I walked into the door, in the door today, it's really not what I want, it's what he wants. I walk in by faith, believing what Christ has said in the scriptures about the body of Christ. And by faith, I take those steps. And so Paul continues on in chapter two. He, he also talks about their salvation again. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, fulfilling the f- desires of the flesh and alienated from God. But verse four, God hath made you alive. God who is rich in mercy has made you alive and raised you up and seated you in the heavenlies. It's a picture that Paul wants them to understand that it is God that was involved in the work of salvation in your life. And as you live your life, it's in a minute, he's gonna confront you with how to walk worthy of that calling. And he goes on and he says in, that, in the middle part, verse 10 of, of chapter two, that we're his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus to, to do good works, that we're to be involved in, in doing works within the body, within the, within the world around us as his people. And then he does something really chapter, the end of chapter two and in chapter three, he begins to talk about a problem that was in the Ephesian church. And it had to do with the, the division that was going on between Gentile and Jew. Your Jews looked down on the Gentiles. The Gentiles were, were sinners, they were pagans. They ignored God, they didn't keep the law. 
And, and the Jews just looked at him and rejected him. They couldn't see how they could be brought into the, to the body of Christ. In fact, even in chapter two, Paul talks about how those who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But by what Christ has did and what he did in his body, he brought down that dividing wall and brought the two together as one, under one spirit, under one Lord, under one God. And the picture is that he even goes so far as he says, and he killed the hostility that was, should have been between those two. Now, in the Ephesian church in the first century, it was Jew-Gentile, but the reality is it's true of any age, even our age, even us as a church, that the hostility between brothers and sisters in Christ should be no more. And the way that we respond to one another and the way we retreat one another and so forth. He goes on in chapter three and, he, and Paul talks about this mystery and uh, that the Gentiles were coming in and they, and they were a part of the church and, and they were partakers of it. And I, and I mentioned it last week and I'll mention it again. Who is the gospel for? Is there anybody that you will meet that the gospel wasn't meant for? No, you, you will never meet anybody like that. Is there anybody who's not allowed into the church, into the body of Christ? Absolutely not. You're never gonna walk up to somebody and go, you know what, the gospel's not for them. I don't care how bad, how ugly, how horrible you think that person may be, the gospel's for them. And the reality is when a person responds by faith and they trust God, they become part of the body of Christ, partakers of the promise of God and partakers of the body. And the body responding to one another in love, reflecting Christ. And so Paul addresses that and he goes on in the latter part of chapter three, he begins to talk about this immeasurable love of Christ, this love of Christ that is beyond our ability to understand or to think or to be able to comprehend. And he talks about this love because it's that love, the love of Christ, what Christ did on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection that gives us oneness. And Paul begins to talk about that amazing love of Christ that surpasses all of our knowledge and our understanding. And then he says something that God is able to do above and beyond what we could ever imagine or think. And the reality is, I used to always think it was about programs or great things, like, and he's talking about within the body. The hurts, the divisions, the, 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 the problems that rise within the body are not too, bad, too big for our God. He's able to do above and beyond what we can imagine or what we could think within the body of Christ. And so Paul walks into chapter four because in the first three chapters, he's been talking about theology, about what we believe, doctrine, teaching, so that we understand the gospel. We understand that Christ is the head over the body. And so now he tells us in verse one of chapter four that we're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. In other words, how we conduct ourselves need to reflect the gospel in which we have trusted. That the way that I operate my life needs to be in line with what I've been called to. And dear people of God, the world is yet to see, <laughs> see a church that understands that. That we as a body, that we would see unity and we would see oneness. And he gives us some attitudes in regards to, to oneness. And he talks about humility, that we're to put on humility, that we're <clears throat> to have gentleness, that we're to be patient and that we're to be forbearing of one another in love. Important to remember the aspect of in love. And he talks about these attitudes that we have, or we should have within the body of Christ. And then he tells us to, to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That word eager means to give a, a definite um, uh, 
uh, intent or a definite try to be, to be in, in tune to, 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 to attempt to bring about unity. Do everything that's possible within your power to bring unity together and to keep that. And in fact, that word maintain has the idea to maintain or to keep something that you already possess. Because if you're a child of God, you're already part of the body of God. If you're already part of the body of God, there's already a basic unity that binds you together. I've experienced that in Tanzania. I meet believers that I never met before and there was an immediate oneness because of our faith. There's immediate oneness in the body of Christ because of our faith, because of what Jesus has done. And so we're to keep that in the bond of peace. And then he goes on and he says, in the next three verses, he talks about one spirit, one baptism and so forth. And he says, one Lord, one faith. Then he talks about one God and Father over all, in all, and through all. And so here we again, we see the Trinity again, involved, involved in this. Why, why should I have these attitudes? Because the, the, the spirit of God dwells within us and we're part of what he's doing in our lives. And then we're gonna pick up today in Ephesians chapter four and verse seven. In Ephesians chapter four, he says there, <clears throat> he says in verse seven, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now he starts out, he says, but, is he contrasting what he just said and trying to say something different? No, the picture of what's going on is here in this first six or seven verses, Paul has been talking about the body of Christ and he's been describing what this body looks, one spirit, one God, one, one Lord, right? And now he's moving into kind of the uniqueness of each member, that there's a unique giftedness in each member that Christ gives. He's gonna talk about Christ, how, how he ascended and he, and he descended. And, and he's talking about Christ gaining the victory for us. That when Christ came to earth and he took upon the likeness of sinful flesh and he went to the cross and he experienced death and he rose again, he gained victory. He conquered sin and death. He conquered our adversary, Satan. Amen? Come on, folks. All right, wake up. He gave us victory. He set us apart because of what he did. And as a result of that, he gave gifts to the church. It's kind of a picture of the Old Testament. You can go to Psalm 68 and see some of this, this same picture as well. And the picture is where a, a victor or a king would go off and he would gain victory in another land. He would take the spoils of the land and he would come back and he would give it as gifts to his people. So the same picture here is, is Christ is, is, is came and he's ascended and, and, or descended and he took on the likeness of sinful flesh and he conquered death once and for all and he gave us victory and no more sin has, has dominion over us. No more will death have victory over us. Where's the sting of that death anymore? It's not there because we live because he lives and Christ reigned and he rose again and because he's alive, we're alive as well and he also gave us Gifts, and he's talking about here, I believe, spiritual gifts. In fact, in verse seven, he says, he says, but grace, and that, that's, that grace, that aspect of that endowment in which God works within us. Look, I spent uh, the first part of my young life in ministry not understanding grace. I, I, could, I, could, I could do word studies on it. I could, um, I could teach it. I just taught knowledge. I didn't understand the power of grace at work in my life. 
And as I began to realize that I didn't understand that and began to ask God to teach me about his grace and the power of grace and how grace works in my life, as I began to realize and see how God began to work, God began to do some amazing things in my heart and my life. My, My joy, my peace, my comfort, they're not dependent on the chaos around me. They're there because of God's grace. He is so consistent. His grace is able to work in us and to change us. His grace also enables us in order to do to that which God has called us within the body. We call them grace gifts many times in that God gives us spiritual gifts, gifts that we can work within the body. In fact, if you notice in verse seven, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, he gave to each one, to each person within the body. Paul talks about this a little bit in chapter three. Paul describes his gifting and how it worked out within the body of Christ. In chapter three, verse two, it says, assuming, Paul speaking, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And he's talking to the Gentile believers that he was teaching. In fact, he goes on down in verse seven. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which God which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was talking about that he was given this grace to go and to preach to the the Gentiles, to teach them and to teach of God's immeasurable grace that he's given through his son, Jesus Christ. And that Paul understood that role. And what he's saying here in verse seven is that Christ has given this to every believer, every believer. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, you're part of the body of Christ, he has gifted you to work within the body of Christ. In fact, that's what Paul goes on and does. And in, in, down in verse 11, he, he gives us a list of giftings. In verse 11, it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now this morning, I'm not gonna spend my time breaking down and how many gifts and what this gift, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. There's just not enough time this morning. My goal is that you see the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is how the body is, is put together and how it's to operate. When I was in Maine, I got to coach two, two basketball teams for a year. I loved it and you guys have probably heard me tell a lot of stories about it over the years. But I loved it because I had a boys team and I had a girls team. I had a girls team with seventh and eighth grade. I had two eighth graders, two seventh graders, and a sixth grader, but we needed six players. So we got permission to add a fifth grader because we were the smallest school in the district. There was only like 60 kids in our school uh, that was in that little town when we were the smallest school in the league. And so nobody expected those girls team to do anything. And then I had a guys team. I had about eight or nine guys. And I actually had some really good ball players on that team. I felt like we could have gone and went to the championship and we didn't even make it there. Because those boys, man, they all wanted to do their, their own thing. They didn't, they didn't understand their roles within the, within the team and they were doing different things and one was always wanting to shoot and you know, I didn't want them to shoot then. I wanted them to do that extra pass, whatever it was. But, but they, just, they just never accomplished what they could have accomplished. And yet, and I had this girls team and nobody expected us. And, and, and by the way, uh, let's see, probably four, four of those players on that six, of the six players was the shortest girls in the whole league, by the way, okay? <laughs> So one of the things I taught him was just, hey, the ball spends most of its time between here and the floor. So that's where we're gonna win this game. 
You're not gonna, I mean, they could put, literally, they could have put their hands up like this and the girls couldn't reach the ball. You know, it was just, it was just hilarious. But, so we began to talk. They all wore knee pads. I taught them when the ball hits the floor, whose ball is it? It's my ball. And they picked up that mentality. They wore knee pads. They'd come, those folks would start dribbling down and one of those girls would be diving for that ball, knocking it out. Sometimes they got it, sometimes they didn't. But we frustrated the other team so much. We lost one game to the team that everyone said would go undefeated this year. We lost one game, we beat them one time. And then we faced them in the championship. And we lost the championship, but it was close. And nobody expected those girls. And all those girls did was understand each one of their roles on the team and they rolled and they, they did what they were supposed to do. It's no different in the body of Christ. That each one of us have a place that God has placed us within the body that we're to be involved in when we're to be, be working in. And he gave us gifts. And if you want to look at the different gifts, you can go to 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Okay, go Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. So just remember 12. Remember those two books, then first Ephes- or Ephesians 4 and then 1 Peter 4. Okay, and then you'll find the, the listing of different gifts and, and so forth. So he, Paul gives us some gifts here. But he tells us what the purpose is of the, of the gifts. And the first one, he says, is to equip the saints, in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And, and I want to stop there. So the first one is, is, is um, for the equipping of the saints. The word equip there literally has the idea to, to mend or restore. It's the picture of the fishermen would take their nets and they would restore them back to their intended use. So what ends up happening is that you have this picture whereby Christ is giving gifts to the body of Christ. You guys are seeing folks going to the back. We have a baptism today. How exciting. I'm so excited. Uh, I, I just, you know, it's just really exciting to see people get baptized. So if you see people walking up there, that's why. Um, we'll, we'll, be, we'll all be rejoicing here in a short time. Okay? So anyway, now where was, oh yeah, many nets. So, so the idea is that we're to restore, our net, restore the nets and back to their use. Well, God gave gifts to the church that he might restore us, that we might do what? The very next phrase, to, to the work of the ministry. Think about that. The, 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 the body of Christ is to be restored and trained and growing in their faith to do the work of the ministry. I praise God for a guy by the name of Dave. I, I, his name was Dave Beatty. He, he reached out to me as a young person. In fact, I was, I was in 11th grade just kind of trying to leave all the world and stuff that I, was, that I was involved in. I knew I had to get away from those friends. And so I was at church and the pastor said, we need help in the children's ministry. Go see Dave. And I said, oh man, I'm a, so I'm walking up there. Now you gotta remember when I went into our youth group, uh, only two kids would talk to me and we had probably 60, 70 kids, maybe more than that in that youth group. Only two kids would talk to me because it was a very wealthy church in a very poor section of town. Uh, I came out of projects and all that. So it was very poor. So when I walked in the youth group, those kids didn't want to have anything to do with me. I understand it now. Then I didn't, but I, I really didn't care. I just, you know, I just kept going because I knew that's where God wanted me at the time. And I went up to Dave and I'm telling Dave, I want to work with children. Yeah, right. You know, we're going to let this guy work with our kids. And I praise God because this is what Dave says. He says, show up next week. I'll find a place for you. And I showed up every Sunday for two years. And yeah, I kind of herded uh, children and helped, you know, make sure they got to the bathroom or got their supplies and just helped the teacher. Did that for two years. And one day Dave walked up to me and he said, do you think you can teach a lesson? I said, yeah, I think I could. And I, be, and I got to teach a lesson. And I began doing that. And guess where I am today? And praise God, Dave didn't say, hey, we, we can't use your kind at church. He could have. I didn't fit into the culture of that church. He could have. 
but he didn't. And to this day, I stand here in part because of his love towards me. You see, the work of the ministry is the body. I stand up here today and I'm preaching, right? I'm standing up here today using my giftedness, okay? But, but this isn't what the church is all about. The church is about each member doing their part. This is really nothing. This is, this is nothing. This isn't, don't think this is the church and this is it. The church is the body of Christ. It's when we're using our giftedness for his glory, for his common good of the body. In fact, the next phrase says, for the building up, for the maturation of the body of Christ, that we're to be involved. It's, it's those that are, that, are, that are calling out and reaching out to one another. There's some of you that have, that have do some amazing things to ministry. You, you mow some people's yards that they can't mow their own yards. You, you show up with food and, and you do different things you care about, you listen, you pray for. That's what the body's about. Don't think this is it. I'm, I'm, just, an, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a member of this body. I, yeah, I know I'm an elder. I know I'm, I'm a staff person. And I know right now it looks real showy, right? But this isn't important. This isn't, the, this isn't what the body's about. This is just me using my gift. And, and I, I don't have command of the English language. I, I butcher it up all the time. I'm not always the, the, the most, I don't have the gift of mercy, let's put it that way. I, I, have, all those, I have all those faults in my life, right? And I, and I wonder why does God still allow me to stand up here and teach his word? Because that's what he's put me into the body for. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it out there in the lobby or standing here. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me because it's about the body of Christ. Take this away. Strip it away. What it is is every one of us being involved in the body of Christ. And thank God I, I went up and I said, yes, I'll help with the children. Because God used that in my life to change my life. And so many times we pull away and we run away from oneness because of our fears and our insecurities or because somebody said something and we pull back and we get hurt and we hold on to that hurt. Remember what he said? He is able to do above and beyond whatever we could imagine or think. You think Christ can break those down? Do you believe that? I heard an amen. Thank you. I'm glad someone's staying awake back there. You think God can do that? You think he can restore? Absolutely. We need to be a people of faith. We gotta change the way we think. We gotta quit walking into the church expecting the church to be a certain way and walk into the church understanding that God is doing some great things and we're gonna, we're gonna walk with him and trust him and depend on him to work within the body of the Christ. Dear people of God, we need to understand that. And so, so Paul continues on here and he talks about building up for the edification of the body that God designed. I kind of lost my notes and the baptism people are walking in. So uh, I got a little distracted there. So let me, let me get very focused. Understand something. God designed the body of Christ. Okay. This is his design. In fact, if you will, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, again, I'm not going to spend on all the different things of the giftedness. I want you to understand how God puts the body together that the body of Christ is God's design, that he's the one that put this together. In verse four of chapter 12, he says, now there are a variety of gifts, but what? The same spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone, in every part. 
Okay, so there's different gifts. There's different ways that it's expressed. There's different activities in which it's expressed. But it's the same God that empowers it. Go ahead. Come on in and sit down for a second. What I'm saying is so important. I don't want you to be, be distracted. If you're in the back, maybe squeeze in. There's some other people that are coming in as well. So, so it's the same God that he says in verse seven, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, that God has given this giftedness to the body of Christ for the good of the body. The reason you have spiritual gifts, the reason that he gives them to the body is for the good of the body, that the body might grow in and of itself, that the body may build itself up. So there's this picture of that taking place within the body of Christ. And it's, and it's God who directs it. He goes on and he gives kind of a list, but look down in verse 11. He says, all these are empowered by the one, by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What's he saying there? He's saying that God empowers them. He empowers each one by the same spirit who gives to each one as he wills. God determines the gifting of the individuals in the body of Christ. In other words, that God places you in the body. If you're here this morning as a child of God, God places you in the body with an intent and with a purpose. You are here for a reason. You are in the body of Christ for a reason. And he's using that and he's placed you here. And if you look at verse 12, it says, for just as the body is one, has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. In other words, he's saying, hey, there's many members, but there's one body, keep that in mind, don't lose sight of that. And then he says in verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So here's the picture. He's saying you are baptized into one spirit, into one body. He's not saying a baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's really important. Some people would say here there's a second baptism of the Spirit, and that's how we get empowered in the Christian life. I do not believe that. I believe that when you receive Christ into your life, you are placed into the body of Christ, and the Spirit of God dwells in you, and you have all the fullness of the power of God at work in you, just as anybody else who's a child of God. I have no more than you. The only difference may be this is how I exercise my faith. That as I keep learning to take step of faith, to another step of faith, I've learned to keep taking steps of faith and that God is faithful and he'll answer, even when everything looks different. So there's one body, and he's stressing this as he walks through this chapter, that there's one body, there's one spirit, it's God who chooses. Then he gives a list and he talks about the foot and the hand and so forth, and then down in verse 18 he says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If we were, all, if we were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here's what he, Paul's trying to get us to understand. Paul wants us to understand that there's many parts within the body, but there's one body, and every part God has placed in the body. If you're a child of God and you're here and you're in the body of Christ, God has a place for you. He has an intention for you within the body of Christ that he wants to do. And here's the thing, without you, we come up short. That's what this next section is about. The eye, the ear can't say, hey, because I'm not the eye, I'm not part of the body, 
Well, then where would the hearing be? And he goes down in verse 24, he says, which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacks or lacked it. In other words, the picture is, there's some that would think, well, the, well, the foot's not as important as the hand, but God gives honor to the foot. Why? Because God put the body together. Where you are in the body, you may have the gift of health, you may have the gift of mercy, all of those things. Where, what your gifting is, God intended in the part of which it works within the body. Verse 25, he says that there may be no division in the body and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I, and I know, man, that when you talk about the body of Christ, again, you're struggling with that whole, that whole picture of, of, well, shouldn't the body be doing this for me? Again, it's not about, about me. If it's about me, the church will never be enough. If you come into the church and you're looking to the church and you're saying, this is what the church should be doing for me, guess what? You're never gonna be satisfied. You can go down church A down the road, you're not gonna be satisfied. You can go down church B, you're not gonna be satisfied. Because God didn't make the church about you, he made it about the body. And as a member of the body, that we're to, be, we're to be uplifting and encouraging and using our gift within the body. And that's to be the picture. You see, here's the thing. I don't have the gift of mercy, right? So for, me, for you to expect me to show mercy the way God shows mercy is it, gonna be difficult. He didn't give me that way, but he's gift to others. And that's why the picture is that when, when in the body, when the body begins to start min, doing the work of the ministry within the body, then you have those people who are gifted with mercy. They're making the phone calls. They're going to those homes. Where the person gifted with help, making, making sure things are getting done so that, so that others in their giftedness can, 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 can do what they do. I, I, I'm able to be up here this morning because there's other men doing things I would normally be doing. And that's how the body works. We begin to work together in unity. And so Paul wanted us to understand that this picture of if, if I'm like not the ear, then, then something's wrong. Here, here's, here's another aspect, other way of looking at it. If, if I have the eye and, I, and I'm able to see, but I don't have the hand, how can I grab my cup? It's because I have a hand that I'm able to grab my cup and use it. And so the picture of the body is the same way. The picture of the body in Christ is if, 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 if only part of us is doing something, then, then, then we're gonna be lacking. We're not gonna be able to do everything that the God has intended. And then people do begin to get critical of the church. And then we get negative and we focus on, and really the, 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 the idea behind it is we shouldn't be asking the question like, well, why doesn't, you know, why doesn't the church figure that? You mean, why don't those elders kind of grow up and figure out that we need da-da, whatever it is? Or, you know, Lingle, you know, Lingle, he needs, he needs to really get his act together. And doesn't he not know we need this, 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 and this? And the reality, that isn't the questions we should be asking or even the statements we should be saying. The question we should be asking is how does God want to use me, whom he uniquely gifted in the body of Christ to his glory? He put us together to, for his glory, for the common good. And as we work together using our giftedness and, and we use who we are in the body, the body begins to grow. And I don't mean grow in numbers, I mean grow in maturity, that we grow in, in Christ, that we become the fullness of the body in which he intended. And that's the picture of the body. We need to change the way we're thinking, dear people of God. 
We need to change the way we're thinking. We need to quit walking into the church, looking and expecting the church to meet my needs. Rather, we must understand that Christ is the head of the body, and therefore, if Christ is the head of the body, I wanna know, what does he want me to do in the body? And then as I, as I look and understand his giftedness in my life, then I begin to do those things, and the body is encouraged, the body is lifted up, and then the body grows in maturity. We've got to understand that and change our way of thinking. In fact, Paul goes on and he says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In other words, he wants you to understand many members, but you're the individual parts of it. Many members, but one body. And then he says in verse 28, he says, and God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, the miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating and various kinds of tongues. Now listen to what he says. Are all apostles? And the implication in the Greek is no. Are, are, uh, are all, are all apostles, uh, prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Because again, if we, all did the, if we were all teachers, the body would lack in mercy, in kindness. The body would lack in helps if we were all teachers. We're not, but God is placed within the body exactly as he chose, and that's something we have to understand. And then Paul says something in verse 31 that for years really frustrated me. I grew up, my parents had a different theological position than I did, and, and, and so forth, and so they were, they were part of a, a, a charismatic church and didn't always agree with some of their interpretations on, on the giftings and so forth. And so they would read verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And they would say, see, Greg, you've got to desire the higher gifts. You've got to desire those, those greater gifts. And some people would say, no, you've got to desire the lower gifts because, because God has honored those. Well, the reality is, why are we having to desire one or the other? Jesus and God has placed us in the body exactly where he wants us, hasn't he? He's the one that determines. And so there's two ways to interpret this phrase. You can interpret it as a command, you should be desiring the, great, the higher gifts, where you can interpret it as an indicative. And the indicative is a statement of a fact. So the idea would be, it's implied in there that the pronoun, so you would you'd literally say, but you are earnestly desiring the great higher gifts. And when I read that and understood that, I went, oh, that fits. It fits exactly with what follows when he says, and I will show you a more excellent way. Why would, why would, the Apostle Paul tell them to desire higher gifts when God has been placing, placed everybody in the body as he saw fit, and then Paul's gonna tell them a more excellent way, but in the middle of it, they're supposed to be pursuing the higher gifts. It never fit until I realized, just like in every other chapter in the book of Corinthians, he's dealing with problems within the church. And here he is, he's dealing with another problem where they wanted the showy gifts. They wanted to be on the stage, and guess what? <laughs> This comes with a lot of headaches too. It's, it's where we're supposed to be that is important. And he says, I'll show you a more excellent way. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna close here in verse 13, or chapter 13, verse one, he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have pro prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove, mount remove mountains, but have not love, I, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, 
I gain nothing. Paul uses extreme successes, if you will, to show that they matter not if we don't have love. It doesn't matter if I could teach, speak with every tongue of the angels and every tongue of man. If I don't have love, it means nothing. If, if I have all knowledge and I have the ability to understand all prophecies, but I don't show love, if I don't have love, it means nothing. If I'm willing to give up all that I have, even my own body, even my own life, but I don't have love, it's nothing. You see, it's how we love each other that the world knows that we belong to Christ. It's how we demonstrate within the body of Christ when we start quit thinking like the world thinks where it's all about me, have it my own way, do it my own way, having it like that. When the world understands that we are changed different because of the spirit of God that dwells in us, because of the work of Jesus who, who set us free that we might live from him because of a God who redeemed us that we understand that and begin to live in that and we dem demonstrate love within the body. So when you read these words and we always post them on, in, in weddings and our, we get married and all that, well, guess what? It wasn't written for marriage. It applies, but it was written for the church and how the church is to respond to one another. So when you read these words, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable it is not, or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. May we, as God's people, grow in Christ in such a way that love in all of our operations, God uses us in the body, that love moves us to a place where we show kindness and we forbear, we forgive, we work together, that we might come together and reflect the God that we serve. And let's pray. Father God, I know there was a lot going on this hour, Father, just a lot of things that are taking place, people coming and going and baptisms, and we're all excited about the baptisms. But God, in the silence of this moment, I pray that your spirit would move in the hearts of your people. That, Father, we would break down the hostility that was once there, even in the Jews and the Gentiles. And, Father, sometimes we just need to go across the aisle and realize that, Father, we're one body. And we need to go across the aisle and sometimes make things right. That, Father, we need to, to heal the hurts and the bitterness and the things that we hang on to. Because if we do, Father, we only get more bitter we only become more self-centered. We only become more about us because, Father, you, there is no hate in, in you. So how do I approach you while I hate? How do I, Father, experience your blessings and your goodness when I have bitterness and anger? So, Father, I pray that in the body of Christ here, that as you move among your people, you would speak to your people, Father. Your spirit would move in our hearts and that, Father, you would heal those hurts and those, and those struggles. And Father, as well, I pray that for those, Father, that are here as well, that they would understand their involvement within the body of Christ. What a joy it is to serve you. What a joy it was how you used me all those years ago. And today I, I look back and I thank God for Dave and that he didn't push me away. But he embraced me and he, and he helped me and, he, and because of him I grew. And because of it, the body grew in maturity. 
Father, may we be a people like that. May we have that heart. Guard us against division, Father. Guard us against a self-centeredness, a consumer mindset in the church. But Father, give us a love for one another, a thirst to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. In life, about 80% of what you do, anyone can do, such as watching TV, speaking, eating, sitting around or surfing the internet. In fact, much of our lives are made up of pretty ordinary activities. Now about 15% of what you do, anyone with some level of training could do. So your work or a skill or hobby. But the remaining 5% of what you do, only you can do. Husbands, only you can be a husband to your wife. Nobody else can do that for you. Moms, only you can be a mother to your children. I wish I could pay someone to exercise for me, but that's something only I can do. And only you can serve God in the unique way he created you to. A lot of people spend their lives trying to be like someone else. But the most happy and successful people are the ones who discover, develop, and deploy their unique 5%. Want to walk in the unique purpose you were created for? Then you need to understand your God-given shape. Join us and discover who God made you to be. week, but that's okay. We'll keep going. Um, so I'm up here to talk about um, the shape test and what it is. I'm sure some of you have taken a spiritual gifts test before, but this is much more than that. So the, each letter of the shape stands for something different. So S is the spiritual gifts. Um, then the H is the heart, A abilities, P personality, and E experiences. Um, and so I just want to talk to you a little bit about that in light of what Pastor Lingle just shared with us about being one in the body. Um, and just discovering how we can partake of that. Um, so if we'll go ahead. So when you click on there, um, this is the first page that you're going to come up to. I went ahead and I took this test myself. It says it takes 30 minutes to an hour to take. Um, it took me 40 minutes. And um, it just gives you the instructions of how... Um, the test goes, it is better to take it on a computer than on a phone, just so you know that. Um, and go ahead and go to the next one, please. Okay, so when you start the test, the first part is going to be your spiritual gifts. And so you'll see at each question, it'll ask, um, you just pick from rarely to often and however, you know, you fit in that. There's about 65 of those questions, but as you read them and just click, it, it actually, this part actually goes by pretty quickly. Um, and then the next one is the heart, and it asks you a bunch of questions that you actually type in the answer to, Okay. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I, I missed the scores part. So after you take your spiritual gifts test, it, um, it's going to give you the scores of the percentage of all the spiritual gifts. It's going to give you your percentage of each one of those from the answers that, that you provided. And then after this, it'll give you your top three. So you'll see what your number one, your number two, and your number three is as far as your spiritual gifts are concerned. Um, before you get to the personality part, there's the heart and the abilities. And like I was saying before, this one asks you questions that you type the answers into. It's not just a click this answer, click this answer. You actually type answers into that one, um, into those two. And then you get to the personality part. Um, it goes, as you see, it has like the first one, extrovert, um, what does that say? Reserve? Even with my glasses. Good Lord, I can't see that. And then 50-50, right? And so I was a little confused on this part. So if sometimes you feel like, yeah, I'm an extrovert, but then sometimes you're like, oh, I can be kind of reserved in this, then that's where you would put the 50-50. 
Um, otherwise, you would just pick one or the other, okay? And then um, at the end of the personality test, this, that's the one, I don't know if some of you have taken different personality tests, but it gives you, your answers are um, animals, like a golden retriever or a beaver or something like that, and then it explains that personality. There's also this part of the test as well where you would go left to right, and so you'll pick on each one, whatever's the most, that's what you'll put a four. Whatever's the next most, that'll you put your three, whatever's... Not so much, that's where you put your two, and then the one that's the least you, that's where you would put one. And you'll do that all the way through as well. And then they'll give you um, the answers um, based on, like I was saying, the animals. Um, so yeah, um, I just, I really just loved what he said about the real work and us just being a part of that um, in the body of Christ and here at NBC. Um, and it's just, this test is just a wonderful way for us to be able to discover how we can make a difference. Um, that at the very end of it, when you're totally done, it'll ask you for your email because then they'll email you your results. You'll actually get the results for the spiritual tests part and you'll get the results for the um, personality test part. The rest of it where you answered questions and typed that in, um, it'll give you that as well but they're gonna ask you for a second email. It's highly recommended, you don't have to, but it is highly recommended. That second email will go to somebody, like maybe one of the pastors, maybe somebody in your small group, maybe somebody that's, um, that mentors you, somebody that you trust, somebody that can look at that with you. If you're one of those people that's kinda like, I really don't have any gifts, I, I don't know what I could do, like you just really don't see where you can fit, that person would be somebody that can look at that with you and they would probably be able to look at it and see like, oh, you would totally be able to do this or this or this and they can help you see that. So that's the purpose of asking for the second email. Um, in light of this as well, once we take the test, oh, and I also forgot to tell you where to find it. When you go to our website, it's right there on the front page. So you can just click on the link and it'll take you right to the test, okay? So um, once you do that, talk with somebody, get an idea of where you can become a part. Um, on the 25th of August, we are having a connecting and community event. Um, and so we'll have tables set up in the lobby and you'll be able to just get some more information about certain areas where you can plug in. Um, you can ask questions and anything. Some, I think there's some, um, some ministries where you're kind of like, oh, I don't know about all that. I don't have time for all that. And you'd be surprised to realize it's all taken care of for you and you just got to show up and just be a happy smiling face. So I think a lot of that stuff you would really be surprised. Um, and so we're really excited about that. We hope that we see all of you there. And as was said before, we've got some baptisms going on today. Y'all excited? I am. I love baptisms. <laughs> all right. So here we go. I accepted Christ from VPS. I want to be baptized because I believe in him in my heart. And I love him. I love these kind of times where we celebrate uh, somebody's salvation, that they've come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And uh, we have Sawyer starting out uh, today. And let me tell you just a little bit about baptism. At Mansfield Bible Church, we don't believe that baptism saves you. We believe that baptism is that public testimony of what you did in private where you were saved, where you came to know Jesus personally. And in fact, uh, uh, Greg Lengel was talking about, out of Ephesians, how we receive the Spirit of God and we receive these spiritual gifts, right? And we were talking about that shape inventory. 
Well, where does that start? Where does the Christian life start? Does it start when we're born? Or does it start when we're born again? It's when we're born again. In fact, we see that if we go to the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, And you also, this is verse 13 of Ephesians 1, And you also were included in Christ. Oh, wow, when did that happen? Well, that's what he says next. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What's the gospel? That Christ died for our sins. And that when a person receives Jesus as their Savior, they've responded to the gospel. And what happens then, Paul says, you're included in Christ. That's when we're included in Christ. When we hear the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, having believed. That's our response. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we have a guaranteed inheritance when? When we hear the gospel that Jesus died for us and rose again, having believed, it's at that moment, that we are included in Christ. Sawyer did that. He was included in Christ at the moment that he believed. And now today we have a public testimony of him on, on, on the video telling us about his salvation. And now we get a chance to see him baptized. What an incredible thing that is. I love this moment, Sawyer. This is a special moment for me as well. And so Sawyer Stevens, because of your faith in Christ Jesus, and your desire to follow him as Lord, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk. And the reason why I want to be baptized is because I want to obey Jesus and follow him in this path. I, and I want to feel like I'm important and I'm someone meant to be loved. I'm happy to be a daughter of God. Amalia Calderon, because of your faith in Christ Jesus and your desire to follow him as Lord, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. I came to know Jesus as my savior by my parents. You know, they did it first. They helped me through it. I was in this compl complicated path. You know, uh, it's between this right path and this evil path. But my mom and dad helped me take classes with um, Orlando, which is my class teacher. He helped me choose this right path when I was struggling with. I started doing all these bad things and I started, you know what, I'm gonna, I wanted to feel like changing because I didn't wanna be this bad person throughout my whole life. I started talking to God because my mom told me, talk to him like he's your best friend. <laughs> I talked to him. He answered my prayers and renewed me like into this new body that I could work with. 
Valley Calderon. Because of your faith in Christ Jesus and your desire to follow him as Lord, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. be baptized because I want to show that Jesus Christ is in me and that he died for our sins. Right when I repented my heart, it cleared. Jesus became my savior because, well, I just believed and I heard the word of it and then I believed. Benjamin Mizell, because of your faith in Christ Jesus and your desire to follow him as Lord, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, <laughs> raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> Father, we come to you this morning and we are, our hearts are rejoicing, our hearts are full. Father, as we have witnessed the baptism of these who have already put their faith and trust in you, who are already included in Christ, who are already sealed with the Spirit of God, who is given to them as a seal and a guarantee of their inheritance. Father, they are guaranteed heaven. They are guaranteed that moment when they will be with you one day. And Father, we are excited to share this moment with them as they publicly proclaim their faith in Christ. Father, we love you and we praise you for this opportunity to celebrate these, these new births, Father, and we love you. We thank you that Jesus Christ died on a cross so that we could have this forever friendship with you. And Lord, we love you. We praise you and we worship you now. And Lord, I pray that as we go forth from this place, that we would not just go forth and forget what we've heard, but Father, I pray that we would begin to take steps to be what you've called us to be in the body of Christ. To grow in those areas that you intend for us to grow in so that we can be all that you intend for us. Lord, you've given everyone here gifts. You want everyone to be involved. Lord, I pray that each person would walk from this place and think, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Lord, I praise you. I glorify your name. We glorify your name today. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Go forth and have a great week.